G'day and welcome to Is It Relevant Today? Right here on Faith FM. I'm Marius Jigau and on this show we're examining biblical concepts and ideas and asking ourselves the important question, is it relevant today? Or is it as outdated and ridiculous as polar bears on the Gold Coast? The show today is a continuation of the show that aired last week, where we discussed some of the inconsistencies in the evolutionary model. Now, if you missed that show, there's no need to wail and sob uncontrollably, as you can find a video presentation which also includes what we're discussing today on our YouTube channel called Is It Relevant Today? All you need to do is click on the video that's called The No God Delusion. Now, as we stated last week, the purpose of our show is not so much to attempt to change one's views of origins, but more to show the thinking on the side of creation. Many people think that those who believe in a biblical creation are uneducated and simply ignorant of the facts. But what we will show today is that there is another side to the coin. There is a plethora of highly educated individuals and an ever-increasing list of university professors and PhD graduates who are realizing that the observable facts are often in contrast to the evolutionary hypothesis. Last week I shared my experience when I was a PhD student at Monash University, where I discovered that the majority of individuals on the lower end of the educational food chain, such as the undergraduates, the honours students, and even the PhD students, they often believe that evolution is a fact. However, when I confronted my supervisor, who's a leading professor in her field, regarding the fact that evolution cannot be proven, she said, I know. I learned that the people teaching the students know evolution can't be proven, but they nevertheless teach it as fact. We also looked at the fact that the missing links that have been proposed up until now have some serious problems associated with them. Some of them have been proven to be forgeries, others of even different species altogether, such as pigs. We also discovered that the famous missing link called Lucy has only one thing that makes it different from any other ape, and that is its femur. And we discovered that this femur was found in a different dig site, 2.3 kilometers away and 70 meters deeper in the strata than the rest of the skeleton, which suggests that it was part of a different skeleton altogether. But the really concerning issue is that this information is strangely absent from virtually all of the textbooks. We then investigated whether a protein can come around by chance. And we looked at the probability of a simple protein of 150 amino acids to arrange itself in the correct order is 1 in 1 times 10 to the 164. That's 1 with 164 zeros after it. This is the same as marking two random atoms in the known universe and then finding them, by chance, sequentially. We then explored the statement from George Wald. He said, Given so much time, the impossible becomes possible, the possible becomes probable, and the probable virtually certain. One only has to wait. Time itself performs the miracles. What he suggests is that given enough time, this could actually happen. So then we did the maths and discovered that even if all the atoms in the universe would be trying to form this protein, which they definitely wouldn't have been, but even if this was the case, at a rate of interaction faster than is commonly observed today, for a period of times a 100,000 times more than is believed to have existed, 
it would still be, by modern mathematical standards, impossible. There are many serious issues with the evolutionary model that simply get overlooked by most of those supporting and teaching this model. But from my experience, most of those who subscribe to a biblical creation model, when giving evidence for their beliefs, simply concentrate on the faults with the evolutionary model. Today, we're going to look at one more inconsistency with the evolutionary model, and then we're going to have a look at the small part of the plethora of evidence that suggests that the things you see around you were actually created. And we'll do this just after this song.
Welcome back to Is It Relevant Today? You're listening to Marius Jigao, and today we're going to look at creation and evolution. What we're taught in most science classrooms is that we evolved by chance from non-organic matter. We're also told that once life evolved from non-life, that species began to diversify. Now, one of the things that you need to have in order to have diversification of species is you need to have genetic mutations. You need to have the genome add new genetic material to get a new species. This is essentially what you need for the diversification of species. Now, do we observe genetic mutations today? The answer to that is yes. Yes, we do. Today, I would like to confess that I am a mutant. My superpower is that I'm colorblind. The other day I was driving and I noticed that there was a rainbow in the sky. Now, in the rainbow, I can only see the yellow and the blue. Unless it's a very strong rainbow, then I'll sometimes see a third color. At home, I have these colorblindness glasses, which I sometimes put on and I'm like, oh, wow. But because of a genetic mutation, I cannot see colors properly. I don't have enough red and green receptors in the cones of my eyes and I just can't see colors properly. Other common diseases today that result from genetic mutations are things like Down syndrome and hemophilia. However, these are negative genetic mutations, meaning that there is a net loss of genetic material. Now, what you'd need for a new species to arrive is new positive genetic mutations. The ones that I've spoken about are genetic mutations where there is the degradation of pre-existing genetic material. So it's not creating new genetic material that causes things such as colorblindness and Down syndrome. It's the destruction of pre-existing material. Now, for you to have a new species, what you need is to have new genetic material. So I want you to hear that again. These genetic mutations are negative genetic mutations, where there is a net loss of genetic material. What we need for the formation of new species is to observe an increase in genetic material, not a loss. Now, your average species contains about 200 million base pairs. And we're told that throughout time, there's been around 2 billion species. So if you do the maths, you would expect to see a new species every three or four months. You'd expect to see new species evolving. Now, to have a new species, you wouldn't need all of the genetic material to be new. You'd just need part of it to be new. For example, we share 87% of the same genetic information that a mouse does. The genetic difference between us and a mouse is only 13%. In our genetic information, we actually share about 50% of the same genes with a banana, believe it or not. Now, to have a new species, you'd need, let's say, around 5% of new genetic information. 
So you'd expect to be seeing around 10 million new base pairs coming around every three or four months, if this is what was occurring. This would mean about four to five thousand new base pairs forming every hour. Now, what do we observe? Is this what we observe? Are we seeing thousands of base pairs of new genetic information being added hourly or not? Well, I have done the maths. I've looked and I've added up all of the positive genetic mutations, that's mutations that have led to the addition of genetic material, that we have found since Charles Darwin came up with his theory of evolution. And the number of positive genetic mutations that we have found is zero. We have yet to find one single positive genetic mutation. So, why do we say the species can evolve if we have never, ever observed a positive genetic mutation? So far, we've looked at the serious problems with the theory of evolution. But I want to ask, is there any evidence to suggest that we were created? We'll find out just after this song. Lord, I come to you, let my heart be changed, renewed, flowing from the grace that I found in you. To know the weaknesses I see in me will be stripped away by the power of your love. Hold me close, let your love surround. Your spirit leads me on in the power of your love. Lord, unveil my eyes, let me see you face to face. The knowledge of your love as you live 
Welcome back to Is It Relevant Today, right here on Faith FM. I'm Marius Jigao, and today we're looking at creation versus evolution. And we've just discovered that for the diversification of species to occur, we would expect to see thousands of positive genetic mutations every hour. That's mutations that result in the addition of genetic material. Now, we discovered that there are numerous genetic mutations which result from the net loss of genetic material. And this is something that we observe commonly throughout the world today. But there has never, ever, not even once, been a positive genetic mutation observed. Meaning, never once have we observed a genetic mutation that adds new genetic information. And we're now going to have a look at the evidence that suggests creation. The universe around us appears to have been created with us in mind. Now, why do I say that? I say that because certain things have been arranged in a particular way. There are certain constants in the universe that have been arranged to be exactly the way they need to be for life to occur. For example, if you were to walk into a church and you notice that there was a little bouquet of flowers attached to every one of the pews, and there was also some material in between each of them, linking them together. And at the front, there were some bridesmaids, and on the other side, there were some groomsmen, and there was a bride in the middle. What would you think? You'd think, well, there appears to be a wedding going on. The things that you see around you show you that this place has been prepared for a wedding, and we're in the middle of the ceremony. Now, the universe appears to have been prepared with life in mind. And we're going to have a look at a few of the constants that suggest this. The first one is the expansion of the universe. The universe around us is expanding at a highly specific rate. The rate is specific to 1 times 10 to the 121. That's 1 with 121 zeros after it. And it needs to be that specific. If it was any less, the universe would implode on itself. If it was any more, you wouldn't be able to support complex life. So we're going to look at this evidence from the large scale like the universe and the galaxies, and we're going to come down all the way to the atomic level. If we look at our location in the galaxy, it appears that we have been put in a specific place in the galaxy that has life in mind. We're about 
two-thirds of the way out from the centre of the galaxy, in what is known as the habitable zone. If we were any closer to the centre, there would be too much radiation to support complex life. If we were any further out from the centre than we are, there wouldn't be enough heavy elements to support complex life. We also happen to be in between the spiral arms. Now, if we were in the actual spiral arms, we wouldn't be able to see out. But because we're in between them, we can actually observe the universe around us. The solar system also appears to have been created with us in mind. We are the exact right distance we need to be from the sun. If we were any closer, it would be too hot to support life. If we would be any further away, it would be too cold. The Earth's orbit happens to be exactly like it needs to be to support life. If you look at the orbit of every other planet in our solar system, you'll see that the orbit is elliptical. Earth's orbit, however, is not elliptical. It's circular. Well, it's actually very, very slightly elliptical, but predominantly circular. Now, if it was any more elliptical, then you would have periods of very strong heat and very cold periods. Again, life as we know it wouldn't be able to exist. Our sun also happens to be just the right colour. If it was any more towards the blue or the red spectrum, then photosynthesis wouldn't function either at all, or at least it wouldn't function properly. And life as we know it wouldn't exist. The moon happens to be just the right size and just the right distance away from the Earth. If the moon was any bigger or any closer to the Earth, you would have massive tidal action and there'd be tidal waves all around the world and again, life as we know it couldn't exist. If the moon was any smaller or further away, then you wouldn't have enough tidal action and the seas would become stagnant and again, life as we know it wouldn't be able to function. The atom appears to have been created with life in mind. You see, the proton is much bigger than the electron. In fact, the proton is 1,836 times bigger than the electron. However, the charge is identical. It's opposite, but it's identical. If the charges weren't identically opposite, then complex life couldn't exist. If the proton was any bigger or any smaller, or if the electron was any bigger or smaller, complex life, as we know it, couldn't exist. It appears that all of these constants, and I've just gone through a few of them, there's over 40 of them if you want to look at them all, needs to be exactly right for life to exist. The fact that these constants are all exactly where they need to be for life to occur suggests that the universe was arranged in such a way so that life could exist. Similarly to how you would assume that a wedding is taking place in a church that's arranged for a wedding. Now what about a worldwide flood? Is such a thing even possible? We'll find out just after this song. Let me go I rest 
weary soul in thee I give thee back the life I owe That in thine ocean depths its flow May richer, fuller be O light that followest all my way Flickering torch to thee My heart restores its borrowed ray That in thy sunshine's blaze its day May brighter, fairer be O joy that seekest me through pain I can Close my heart to thee I trace the rainbow through the rain And feel the promises not vain That morn shall tearless be my head I dare not ask to fly from thee I lay in dust life's glory dead and from the ground there blossoms rest life that shall endless peace life that shall endless peace to Is It Relevant Today? You're listening to Marius Jigel, and today we're looking at creation versus evolution. We've so far discovered that the universe contains numerous constants that appear to have been put in place especially to allow for life. We also discovered that for species to have been able to diversify, you'd expect to see thousands of positive genetic mutations to occur where new genetic material is generated. But we have never ever observed any positive genetic mutations. We've only observed mutations which destroy pre-existing genetic material. But what about a worldwide flood? Is such a thing scientifically plausible? I had a good friend ask me not long ago, Marius, do you really believe in a worldwide flood? And I say, yes. I believe there was a worldwide flood. And they said, how can you believe that? Well, because there's much evidence to suggest that, I replied. I was at the Grand Canyon about 11 years ago. It's an amazing place. It is so huge that any photos you see don't even do it a fraction of justice. We took a helicopter and flew inside the Grand Canyon. And I noticed something interesting. I noticed that the plains throughout the Grand Canyon 
are all flat. It's an interesting phenomenon. The numerous layers that can be seen in the Grand Canyon are all in a straight line. They all suggest that it was flat. If you look in the textbooks, they tell us that these were the surface of the world many, many years ago. And if you look at this layer, it was 270 million years old. And it's almost a perfectly straight line between it and the next layer, which you're told is 300 million years old. And then another almost perfectly straight line between that layer and the next, which you're told is 340 million years old. Then again, a almost perfectly straight line between this layer and the next one, which you're told is 505 million years old. These layers were perfectly flat. Now, it certainly appears that long ago, the surface of the world was completely flat. This would mean there was no wind, no rain, no erosion of any sort that can be observed. Now, does this line up with the facts with what we observe today? Most definitely not. When we observe the topography of the world today, it's up and down and every which way. This observation suggests a worldwide flood. Now, why would I say that? You see, in a worldwide flood scenario, you would expect mudplains to be forming. One goes in this direction, and then one comes in another direction on top of it. This would result in the layers between them to be almost perfectly straight. This would give the appearance of flat layers, which is exactly what we observed. Had each of these layers been the surface of the Earth at one point, you would most definitely not expect each layer to be almost perfectly flat. Now, what about the geological chart? What does the geological chart say for us? You see, in the Mesozoic period, just after the Jurassic layer, we have something known as the Cretaceous layer. Now, the Cretaceous layer is a layer that's essentially chalk. It predominantly consists of marine animals. Marine animals that have died and have formed into chalk. Now, Cretaceous matter is still being formed today. For example, in the seas, as marine animals die, most of these are microscopic. And as they die, they sink down into the sea and they dissolve on their way down. However, there are some places where there are underwater mountains. Now, as these Cretaceous creatures are sinking, instead of dissolving on their way down, they hit the mountain. And what you'll see underwater is you see these mountains that appear to be covered in snow. The tops of these have dead Cretaceous creatures on them. Now, what does this have to do with our talk today? Well, the Cretaceous layer is one layer that's found throughout the whole world. It's referred to as universal. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. This layer can only form underwater. And it is found everywhere in the world. Now, what does this suggest? It suggests that the whole world was underwater at some point. 
If you go to the top of Mount Everest, you'll find something very interesting. You'll find fossilized seashells. How did they get there? A worldwide flood offers a very good explanation to this. Paleocurrents also point to a worldwide flood. Now, what are paleocurrents? We'll find out just after this song. Welcome back to Is It Relevant Today, right here on Faith FM. I'm Marius Gio, and today we've been focusing on the evidence for creation. We've found out that the universe appears to have been created with life in mind. We've also found out that the lines between the sedimentary layers are almost perfectly flat. 
which is not what you'd expect to see if they were each the surface of the world at one point, but exactly what you'd expect to see if there were mudplains during the flood. We also found that the Cretaceous layer, which only forms underwater, is the one layer that is found everywhere in the world, which clearly suggests that the whole world was underwater at one point. Another thing which I've only recently looked into is paleocurrents. Paleocurrents are interesting things. When they look at the different layers they are studying, let's say a layer from the Mesozoic period, when they do a dig, they determine the direction of stream flow in that dig. And they send this information off, and there's now over a million recordings of paleocurrents all over the world. Now, what you can now do is say, okay, I want to look at the Mesozoic layer. And you can look over an entire continent and see the direction of stream flow for that layer. And when you do this, something very interesting happens. You see, what we observe today relating to the direction of stream flow over a continent, let's say, for example, Australia, you generally expect the stream to flow towards the edges of the country. As water flows downhill, it flows out towards the edges. There may also be a basin somewhere in the middle, and you would expect the direction of stream flow to be in towards that basin. So, the direction of stream flow may go towards the basin, or in other directions depending on the topography of the country or the continent. However, if you look at the paleocurrents in the Mesozoic Age, for example, in the USA, what you'll find is that over the entire country, they are all flowing predominantly in one direction. Now, what does this say? Well, this tells us that during the Mesozoic Age, the direction of stream flow was in one direction over the entire country. This is only possible in a worldwide flood scenario. What's also really interesting is that if you look at the Mesozoic layer, as we said, it's in one direction, but if you look at the Paleozoic layer, which is just underneath it, you'll find that it's actually in the opposite direction, again, over the entire continent. Why was the direction of stream flow over the entire continent in one direction, and then in the next layer, in the opposite direction for the same continent. This makes no sense in a surface of the world over millions of years scenario. However, this makes perfect sense in a worldwide flood scenario. All of the water was flowing in this direction, and the mudplains got laid in that direction. And then the wind changed, and the water started going in this other direction. And then the next mudplain is laid in the other direction. Paleocurrents most definitely suggest a worldwide flood. There's an interesting statement from a well-known evolutionist, Todd Scott, and he writes, Even if all the data point to an intelligent designer, such a hypothesis is excluded from science because it is not naturalistic. Essentially, what Todd Scott is saying 
If it looks like a duck, if it smells like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, and even walks like a duck. Oh, wait a minute. We don't believe in ducks. It must be a puppy. We shouldn't be surprised at this because the Bible tells us that the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, they will suit their own desires. They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Today's itching ears want to hear that there is no God. You're not responsible for the things you do. Just do whatever you want. The Bible, on the other hand, tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what science would like to sell us today is that this is a question of fact versus faith. You see, on the one hand, you have the simple-minded Christians. They have their faith. However, the scientists are based on fact. However, what we've clearly seen today is that evolution cannot be proven. And there are serious problems with the theory of evolution at each one of the steps. It's no longer a question of faith versus fact, but a question of faith versus faith. And I personally believe that you need much more faith to believe in evolution. If you look at the evidence for creation, the universe appears to have been created with us in mind. The galaxies, solar system, the moon, even atoms appear to have been created with life in mind. The flat lines between the sedimentary layers suggest a global flood, as do the Cretaceous layers. Paleocurrents all suggest a worldwide flood. Now, if you look on the evolutionary side of things, you have serious problems at each step of the evolutionary process. At the end of the day, you have two options. We can choose to have faith in evolution. We can choose to believe that we arose from nothing, that life is meaningless, that one day you will die and cease to be. Or you can choose to have faith in creation. In creation, we are sons and daughters of God. Life is full of purpose and we are designed to live forever. As I was preparing this talk, it occurred to me that both what evolutionists believe and what creationists believe is, in some sense, true. When you look at what will happen at the end of time, if you believe in evolution and choose not to believe in God and not to accept His salvation, at the end of time you'll die and cease to be. However, if you choose to put your faith in God, believe in creation, then you have the opportunity to live forever. We shouldn't be surprised at what we're seeing in the world today. In fact, Peter prophesied this over 1900 years ago. He writes in 2 Peter 3 verses 3 to 5, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own desires. They will say, where is this coming that he has promised ever since the ancestors died? Everything goes on as it was since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed. He says that they deliberately forget. It's not that people don't believe in creation because there's a lack of evidence. Because I believe there's far more evidence for creation than there is for evolution. I want to invite you today to look into this evidence yourself. 
Ultimately, you will need to make a choice. So what will you choose? In which one will you put your faith? We thank you for listening today, and don't forget to visit our YouTube channel called Is It Relevant Today, where we have video presentations on many topics, including the one we've just been talking about called The No God Delusion. We look forward to seeing you next week. I'm Marius Jigal. God bless, and I hope you have a magnificent day. Before, yet you come to me in mercy, undeserving loss now found. Your love begins to pour when you surround me with your mercy. Just when I feel my way is lost. And need some light to see Just when I would have given up You go and mercy me Mercy me when I'm falling Mercy me, hear me calling Mercy me like raindrops falling Pour your grace out on me Mercy me when I'm hurting Mercy me so undeserving Mercy me when I'm dirty Wash me clean Oh my Father, mercy me Oh my Father, mercy Mercy me, have mercy on me, have mercy on me, Lord. You are God and I am not, I'm nothing without you and your incredible mercy. Desperately Than I need the air I breathe Father, fill the air with mercy Just when I feel I can't go on About to sink beneath the sea Just when I think the end has come You go and mercy me Mercy me when I'm dirty.
mercy me, so undeserving. Mercy me when I'm dirty. Wash me clean. Oh my Father, mercy me. Oh my Father, mercy.
You've been listening to Is It Relevant Today? If you have any questions or comments, please leave them on our Facebook page, Is It Relevant Today? But for now, thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next week. I love to tell the story T'will be my theme in glory To tell the old, old story Of Jesus and His love